So for next week, as we uh, roll on with this series of being like Jesus, specifically acting like Jesus, we're going to look at this idea of the time, the time that we have. Scripture calls it redeeming our time, making the most out of our time. That's what, that'll be the topic for, uh, for next week. So a couple things that I want you to think about as you go throughout this week. Speaking of redeeming the time, we're losing time here, boys. Losing time. All right, uh, a couple things. How much of my time is spent serving God? If I took my time and I put it in a pie chart and I, I split it up, how much of it? Or maybe think of it this way. If I looked at my day planner, would it point towards a self-focus or would it point towards a kingdom focus? How much of my day is spent kingdom-focused versus self-focused? And if it's more of a self-focus, as it certainly would be, I'm ashamed to say, for me too much of the time, how do I switch that? How do I change that? These are the two passages for next week, your homework, Psalm 39 and Colossians 3. So this week, talking about spiritual gifts, I went online, because that's the best place to research. I go online, I'm looking for illustrations that people use as to how to determine your spiritual gifts. I came across one on a pretty popular Christian website, and it said the best way to do this is to take it out of the realm of spirituality, take it into the realm of just normal, everyday life, a scenario that you would have happen to you, and how would you respond if this situation occurred to you, and how you would respond will point you in the direction of what your spiritual gift happens to be. The situation that they came up with on this site, that again, is a highly trafficked Christian website. The situation they came up with is that you're at a dinner party. I don't know if people still do dinner parties. I don't know, Jenny, if we've ever had a dinner party. We don't get invited. So we haven't done a dinner party. But if you've been to a dinner party, you're sitting there, it's time for the desserts. Whoever is catering the dinner party, the waitress comes out with the desserts on the tray and she biffs. She trips, she falls, and the desserts go everywhere across the ground. And this website then posed the question, who are you? How do you respond if you're one of those people sitting at the table, okay? This is what it said. Are you the type of person that says, well, that's what happens if you're not careful? Can you all see that over there? I feel like it wasn't angled properly. Can you see this? Yes? Okay. Are you the person that says, well, that's what happens when, you, when you're not careful? Or are you the person that says, oh, let me help you clean that up? Are you the one that said, well, I feel like the tray fell because it was too weighted on one side and it didn't have as much on the other side? Next time, if you just serve it with the meal, then you don't have the second trip out here. Are you that person that points that out? Or, ah, don't worry about it. I'll just buy us all new desserts. Is that, is that you in that scenario? Are you okay? You say to the waitress, the lady laying on the ground, are you okay? Don't feel bad about this. It happens to the best of us. Or are you the person that starts delegating? You, Brian, get a mop. Jack, go over there and you start picking up, and April, go make us new ones. All right, which are you in this scenario? And what they said on this site was, here's how you determine your spiritual gift. If you were the person that would pop up and say, well, that's what happens when you're not careful, well, you must have the gift of prophecy. <laughs> okay, like, I laugh too, but this is not a joke on this website this was really what they were saying, a, a very practical way for understanding your spiritual gifts. And I'm laughing as I'm reading this. I, I'm not going to try to embarrass the people to put this together, but you would know them if you're familiar with Christianity in America at all. This is a gift to pray. Let me help you clean that up. You have the gift of service. If you're the person whose inclination is to try to explain why it fell, then you have the gift of teaching. 
If you're the person that says, well, I think next time you should serve it with the meal, well, that's the gift of exhortation. Or if you're the one that says, I'll just buy us all new desserts, you have the spiritual gift of giving. If you're the one that says, are you okay? You shouldn't feel bad. Well, you obviously have the gift of mercy. And if you are the one that says, well, you get a mop and you go make us new desserts and you clean up, what you have is the gift of leadership. Okay, all right, you're laughing the same reason I did because there's something that doesn't sit well with me about this understanding of spiritual gifts. I go back to this list, and the way I view this, and maybe I'm alone, I don't think that I am, but if you're the person that looks in this scenario and says, let me help you clean up, or are you okay, don't feel bad, probably laughing as well because when somebody falls, it's just funny. There's no, as long as the person's okay, it's hilarious. And I say that as one who has taken many a tumble. But if you are saying this, let me help you clean it up or don't feel bad, I think that your gift is that you are a nice, normal human being. Because that's what a nice, normal human being does in that scenario. Meanwhile, if you do any of the rest of this, in this, if you're lecturing and explaining, well, if you put less on this side of the tray, if you're Bill Heck in this scenario... <laughs> Well, I feel like there was an obvious imbalance when she came out of the... If that's you, then... Well, see, I shouldn't have said this, but you have the, the tendency of being a bossy know-it-all jerk. Dad, you are not, you're not a jerk. I don't mean it like that. But all of us would, would assess it that way, right? You don't respond in that scenario. So I'm looking at this, and I think maybe our problem is, and the more I dug into this this week... I think we have a fundamental misunderstanding about this area of spiritual gifts. I think we equate spiritual gifts with something that it should not be equated with. And as a consequence, many of us spend our lives struggling over, well, what is my spiritual gift? You can find entire books. If you go to a Christian bookstore website, there's an entire genre of finding your spiritual gift. And some of you have probably purchased them. And you've poured over them trying to figure out what it is. You can hire teams to come in or a speaker to come in and conduct seminars in your church. And you can pay them incredible amounts of money and they will come armed with worksheets and quizzes and surveys and assessments. You can go online and take an assessment to figure out what it is that's your spiritual gift. People stress a large part of their adult lives, Christian life, trying to figure out what is my spiritual gift. Over and over we ask this question. We equate spiritual gifts with talents and abilities. That's what we do. We try to figure out, in other words, what we're actually trying to figure out here, we're trying to find something that we're good at. That's how we try to determine our spiritual, well, what is it that I'm really good at? Because whatever it is that I'm really good at, that must be my spiritual gift. Do you see a danger if we start trying to establish what our spiritual gifts are based on what we're good at? I don't mean to be offensive when I say this, but it just stands to reason that some of us are not that good at anything. And I don't mean that to be rude. I'm not saying that we're all miserable failures. What I'm saying is that many of us are average people with average abilities. That's what makes it average because it's where most people are. And so if you are desperately searching for, well, what is it that I do better than all of these other people? What is it? I mean, because I can look at that guy and say, well, it's obvious his spiritual gift is whatever. And you're picking out something that that individual is really, really good at. Well, what is it in my life that I'm really, really good at? And what happens? You start realizing there's all these people around you that do those same things better than you do. So maybe that's not my spiritual gift. And we struggle over this because others can teach better than us. Okay? I am a teacher. Last week, they have this thing called Honors Night. 
It's where all the seniors that are getting scholarships come on Thursday night and they're told, here's what your scholarship is. Before honors night, there's this thing. It was used to be called the top 10 banquet, but it's an opportunity for, for seniors who are graduating, and it had been the top 10 in the class, to pick a staff member or somebody that really impacted their life and motivated them in the, in the right way and all of that. It's a really neat evening, and you hear some great stories and things that you never knew of impacts that teachers or staff members made. So I go to this event Thursday night. I get invited. T.J. Weeks, who is the salutatorian of the class of Eastern High School, picked to honor me as the person that had made a profound impact in his life. I was extraordinarily honored, right? Because this is obviously my spirit. Can I read to you the start of T.J.'s speech? Well, I came here today to talk about one of my absolute favorite teachers. It's a consensus that this guy is the coolest teacher in school and really great at his job. However, since Mr. Everett is out of town, I'll be giving a speech <laughs> over Mr. Heck. All of these other kids telling these sob stories about how this teacher had impacted them. And the sad thing is, I know he's right. I know that Tom Everett is a much better teacher, and the kids never fail to remind me of that, and they're sticking it to me. That's my point. Whatever it is that you think you're good at, there will always be a Tom Everett. There will always be somebody who is better at that than what you are. There will always be other people who can sing better than you can. There'll always be people who are better encouragers than you are. There will always be people who can craft better than you. There's always people that can lead better than you. People that are better servants than you are. Others that can speak better than you. You will always find that. And so if what you're doing is desperately searching for what is it that really makes me stand out and makes me exceptional, what is my great talent and therefore my spiritual gift, you know what you're going to conclude? What a lot of you conclude. Well, I guess I just don't have any spiritual gifts. I guess I got overlooked when it came to the doling out of spiritual gifts because all of my gifts seem to be pretty mediocre at best. But you and I know that isn't true if we believe the scriptures. We know, I had you read uh, Romans uh, uh, chapter 12 for this week. That's one passage on spiritual gifts. But there is another passage on spiritual gifts, very popular. Peter writes it in 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at how he starts those, those words. As each has received a gift, and then he goes on, employed in this way. Each has received a gift. So when you conclude, well, I guess I don't have any spiritual gifts, it's nonsense. It's completely contradictory to what the Council of Scripture is telling you. We do have spiritual gifts. Something is off in our thinking as we try to understand what is my spiritual gift. I think you can start to see what the problem is. This is where it started to dawn on me. It really hit me this week. I had you read Romans 12, but before you get there, go to Romans chapter 1. Okay, this is where Paul is writing and he's expressing to the Christians in Rome how much he wants to come and visit them. So Romans chapter, one, Romans chapter 1, I want to look at verses 11 and 12. He writes to them, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Okay, so Paul uses these words. Now there's a confusing line in there, at least it's confusing me. Maybe it doesn't confuse you. When Paul says, I long to see you so that I can impart to you some spiritual gift... How do I read that? How do I understand what Paul is saying? Here's how I understand it. I look at that and say, Paul is going and he's distributing gifts to them. 
Like he's giving them gifts. Like this is some sort of apostolic power. Like the apostles had the ability to do miracles. And I don't have that ability. So this is an apostolic power. He is showing up and he's doling out gifts. He's like the Wizard of Oz. I give to you a heart and to you a brain and I'm giving to you courage. That's what Paul does. He's going and he's handing out gifts. But that is not what this passage means. This is the weakness of the English translation. That is not, and if you look at verse 12, it really helps explain that. That is not what Paul is saying when he says, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. What he's meaning here is, and what he's saying, is I want to come and use my spiritual gifts to build you up in the faith. That's a really important point. Let me say that again. Paul is saying, I want to show up and use my spiritual gifts to build you up in the faith. That right there. So you should read this line that he says in verse 11. I long to see you so that I can use the gifts that God has given me to strengthen you in the faith. That is a huge point in understanding spiritual gifts. If you have struggled over this, what is my spiritual gift and all this? Huge point right here in what he just said in verse 11. These are not just talents. Okay, Elon Musk has an incredible talent of leadership. He's got a company, he's grown it from nothing, and it's massive, and it's huge, and he's exceptionally wealthy because of it. He has this talent. He's a great leader. Michael Lennington, I don't know if you know who that is. They took a small little service organization called the Wounded Warriors Project, and they have made it into one of the biggest and the greatest service organizations in the country, in the world, really. He's an incredible servant, this guy. Bill Gates has a lot of money, and he gives a lot of it away. He's an incredible philanthropist. But none of those things are spiritual gifts. And why? Because they are not using those. I'm not saying they're using them improperly. You make a good company. You make a lot of money. You can do a lot of good with that. Bill Gates is doing good by giving. And he's certainly giving back to people that have given a lot. I'm not saying what they're doing is wrong. I'm simply saying they are not using this talent to strengthen people's faith. And therefore, it is not a spiritual gift. It's a talent. It's a natural ability that they are, they are using to its fullest. But it's not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are for strengthening the faith that others have in Jesus. That's the point. That's what Paul says that they did with Timothy. He writes to the church, uh, the Thess Thessalonian church. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to do what? He's using his gifts to do what? To strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by the trials that they're going through. You all go through trials, so we are sending Timothy to encourage you and build you up in the faith. Last week we talked about fellowship, how we are conditioned against fellowship in this culture. We're conditioned towards ourselves. And that God is teaching us we are to be in fellowship. We need one another. And what is it that we're supposed to be doing in this fellowship? This. Exactly what I just said, this whole idea of spiritual gifts. We are to be using our spiritual gifts that God gives us to build one another up in the faith. You just saw Paul explain it. The gift that God gives you, you use it to encourage another in the faith to keep them in our fellowship and to keep them strong as they go through life storms. That's exactly what he just explained about it. When we see the faith of someone in our fellowship that is under attack, some of you right now, your faith is under attack because of life circumstances. It is our job as the fellowship to use our gifts to keep you in the faith, to respond to that. God equips us to do that. That's called a spiritual gift is what it is. Here's what I think. 
I think that we get way too worked up about identifying and naming our spiritual gifts. I think it becomes an obsession with us. We obsess over it, over what is my gift? Do I have the gift of wisdom? Do I have the gift of teaching? Am I, do I have the gift of speaking or encouragement? Maybe I have the gift of prophecy or mercy. And we spend all of our time trying to figure out what is it that is my spiritual gift, and we base our answer off of our personality or off of our preference. Do you see a danger in that? When I conclude that my spiritual gift is whatever I happen to like to do, and I think that maybe I'm good at, there's a real danger there. And what is the danger? Well, it's not hard to figure out. We see a sister struggling and discouraged, but we stay out of it because, well, that's not my spiritual gift. I don't feel obligated to help because I don't have the gift of encouragement, so I'm going to stay out of this and let the encouragers go and do that job. Lynn Wilson needs volunteers to help with the living nativity. And what do we say? Well, I'm not really, uh, I don't have the gift of drama. I'm not good at drama. You're standing there like a statue. There's no drama involved in this. Well, I don't really know how to do that. You don't know how to stand. You don't, I, I don't know how to get the heat out to the people that are standing in the fields. That's just not my gift. I don't know. So we back away and say, well, let somebody else do all of that, right? Or we see a brother who's going through a divorce and he's really hurting. But we say, well, I don't have the gift of counsel. I don't have the spiritual gift of wisdom to know what to say. And so we stay out of it. That's the problem. When you start desperately trying to obsess over what is my spiritual gift, and you conclude, well, this, in this box, is my spiritual gift, then all of these other areas where God is presenting you an opportunity to be equipped and to serve and to build up his kingdom, you back away from because you have a completely warped idea of what a spiritual gift is. The problem is the question that we've been asking about spiritual gifts. Rather than saying, what is my spiritual gift? Wild idea here. What if this entire body started doing this? Every day that we woke up, we thanked God for this life, and then we said this to God, and we meant it. Help me strengthen somebody's faith today. That's what I want to do. Sometime today, God, help me strengthen somebody else's faith. I don't know who it's going to be. What if that became our focus and pursuit? Instead of pouring over, well, what is it that I'm really good at that I can serve the kingdom of God? What if we started focusing and obsessing over this? If we obsessed over, all right, by nightfall, God, this is what I want. By the time the sun goes down, I want someone to be more joyful and more confident in their faith because they crossed paths with me. That's what I want. I'm serious. If this became the prayer and the desire of our heart, what might happen? Let me contend to you that your problem and my problem isn't that we don't know what our spiritual gifts are. Our problem is that we aren't developing a burning desire to build one another up in the faith of Jesus. Do you remember the guy I mentioned last week? It was the one that I, I felt awkward about because I never want to tell you too much of my own failures because I don't want to destroy my credibility and then you decide... I don't know why we hire this guy to preach to us. He's the worst sinner I've ever seen. But it was the guy that, that I didn't care for and I didn't trust. And it was somebody that I thought was proud and arrogant. I didn't like the way he treated his wife. I didn't like the way that uh, he was around other women. And so as a consequence, I keep my distance. Right? Hebrews 3 tells me that it's my job to go to another brother and to keep him from falling into... And what happened? Because I kept my distance because of my own pride, what happened? His marriage ends up crumbling and falling apart. Now listen, all of us are responsible for our own choices. I'm not responsible for that divorce. But I am responsible for whether or not I was faithful to the call on my life in Hebrews chapter 3, and I wasn't. And I was pretty daggone convicted about that. 
But I was hoping, all right, we're off that topic. I can move on to the next. And I was hoping God would just kind of let it slide. All right, better luck next time, Peter. That's what I was hoping for. And then I start doing the preparation for this. And he just won't stop. He's just nagging at me about this. And so you know what I did this last week? Prompted by last week's message and the godly guilt I feel over it. And this week's message and what's being said to me, I sent a text message this week. Sent a text message to that guy out of the blue to offer spiritual encouragement. I had no idea the kind of response that I was going to get. But because I'm reading scripture and I'm preaching these ideas, I need to live them. And so I sent this message to offer encouragement. Now, can I be honest with you? I don't identify encouragement as my spiritual gift. Okay? Uh, you look at the kids that I teach in high school. Uh, there are certain teachers. Mr. Cox is the guy that's going to come alongside and say, hey, you are doing a great job. I've never seen anybody do little chemicals. Sure, you set your hair on fire, but you did it great. I mean, the flames were spectacular. It was wonderful. That isn't my gift. I don't have that. I, I just, that's not a natural tendency for me. I will tell them that they're idiots a lot more than I will tell them, hey, you're doing a great job. That's just not me. So I don't identify this as my spiritual gift but do you know what happened God still granted me that gift that I would never identify as a talent of mine to use this week and the response I got from that guy blew me away just broken I just I made such a mess of this I don't know what to do would you mind to continue to send me scripture that maybe can can help me in all of this and I hadn't done that because of my own pride that's what I'm saying, man. We think that we have to identify, well, this is my gift, and we don't use anything else because, well, that's not my gift. What are we missing? What if our objective was different and it was to build one another up? This is what I meant when I said it's not about us. My personality may not be that of an encourager, but God gave me that spiritual gift this week to strengthen someone else, and that's pretty awesome. You see, it's not about me. You may not look at yourself and say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty prophetic, honestly. I look at myself and I think I must have the gift of warning others. Now, you don't feel that way. You don't think that way. But you know what? When you warn your sister about the choices that she's making and the consequences that are going to come from it, and she repents and turns away from that, you know what you've just done? You have received and used the spiritual gift of prophecy or warning. That's what you have done right there. Now, was it worth it to try to figure out, do I have this gift or not? No. You pray for the opportunity, you pray for God to equip you, and you use the gifts that he gives you to build others. That's what I want. I want us to develop that burning desire to do that. The best thing you can do to use your spiritual gift isn't to struggle to name what your spiritual gift is. It's to develop that burning desire to strengthen another individual's faith. If you have the Holy Spirit, and many of you in this room, he lives inside you. Don't think for a second that the Holy Spirit is going to look at a soul that is open, saying, I want to strengthen someone else's faith, and the Holy Spirit's going to yawn. Ah, I just don't really see that. No, God is desperate for us to be used by him. And if you express that desire and that longing, he's not going to ignore that longing. You will have opportunities and he will equip you in ways you can't even imagine. Go back to that text real quick that we read in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. One more time. And notice in verse 12, Paul is restating verse 11 in case we didn't understand it. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, if you didn't understand what I just said, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Those words right there. 
that you and I may be mutually encouraged. You know what Paul's saying here? I'm going to illustrate it this way. If I say the words Chick-fil-A right now, what do you think of? Chicken. Somebody said chicken. That's the dumbest answer. What else? Just say it out loud. Jesus food. Cows. Service. What do they say when they serve? Bingo. That's what I was waiting for. It took us a little while to get there, but that annoying phrase that they say all the time, they don't say you're welcome. Everything that they do, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Could you get me some salt? It's my pleasure. Can I get a refill on my... It's my pleasure. All right, now listen. I understand that sometimes that annoys us because it's not the way that we talk, but do you know that there is a difference between saying you're welcome and saying it's my pleasure? I don't... I do not know if this is why Chick-fil-A, it wouldn't surprise me because of the founding of their company and what it is, but when you use the phrase, it's my pleasure, you are demonstrating a Christian humility that is not present when you say you're welcome. I'm not saying it's wrong to say you're welcome. I say it all the time. But if you think about this, you thank me for doing something for you. You were sitting at the table. I came and got your empty lemonade, walked over and filled it up, and then I brought it back to you. And you say, thank you. If I say back to you, you are welcome, what is another, what, what's another way to say that? I acknowledge that I have done something for you here, and I am affirming my own kindness. That's what you're doing when you say you're welcome. Yes, it is clear I have done something for you. I am acknowledging that and affirming that I have done. That's why you know this. I, this just happened yesterday with my children. They're sitting in front of the television, and they want their food. So I bring their food to them and I set it down. They don't even acknowledge my presence as they are transfixed on the television. So what do I do? The same thing all of you do. I get down like this. Hey, you're welcome. Right? That's what I say. In other words, acknowledge, please, that I have done something for you and you need to acknowledge my kindness. That's what we say. Well, that's not what you do when you say it's my pleasure. When you say it's my pleasure, what you are essentially saying is, Hey, don't get worked up about how self-sacrificial I just was. I, I got a lot of enjoyment out of doing that. I enjoy serving you. So, yeah, I understand that you got something good out of it, but I did too. I enjoy the opportunity to serve you. That's what you mean when you say, it's my pleasure, unless you're just saying it because you're contractually obligated to say it, like you do at Chick-fil-A. But if that's really what you mean, that's what Paul is getting at right here in verse 12. If you don't pick up on this, I enjoy building others up in the faith. You don't have to thank me for that. I enjoy doing it because I am built up in the faith in response. My spirituality grows. That's the point of all of this. That's why that reading that you did for this week. We all have these different abilities and God grants us these gifts and we use them to build one another up in the faith. I'm not going to read it. It was your assignment. You should have read it for this week. Do you see what's happening in that passage and what this teaching is all about? This isn't about God-given talents. That's not what... People have God-given talents and they squander them. They never use them. Okay, they have natural abilities and they just don't use them. Or they do use them, but they use them for their personal glory. I'll give you an example. I don't know that I've ever heard a better singer in my entire life. Maybe Whitney Houston. It would be Whitney Houston or on the male side it would be Adam Lambert. Do you know who Adam Lambert is? He was the guy that should have won American Idol back when American Idol was watchable several years ago. I mean, the guy has an incredible voice. I've never heard anything like it. Incredible talent. But he's not using it to build the kingdom of God right? He's using it for his own personal glory. And that's what people do. They use their God-given talents in other ways to benefit themselves or to benefit some earthly kingdom. Those are not spiritual gifts. Thousands of people can sing better than Phil Evenson and can sing better than Susan Cheek and Amanda Faust 
and Kyle Lewis. Thousands of people can sing better than them, okay? But can I tell you that those thousands of people, not one of them, okay, Kyle, you don't have to walk out. <laughs> Nobody sings better than Kyle. She <laughs> made Christmas. Oh, the whole worship team's walking out. Anyway, all right. Nobody, none of those people that sing better than them have ever brought me to the throne of God in a worship setting. They may have all these talents, but these are spiritual gifts that are being used right there. Thousands of people know more about encouragement than Linda George and Teresa Pollard and Carol Evenson and Sandra Parker. Thousands of people know better, but none of them have done what Linda George does when she takes the time at her house to write out a card and send it to me in the mail. None have encouraged me the way Teresa's text messages do after a message that I preach and I'm always iffy on and then I get a message from her. I, I can't even describe to you. And Carol, when she takes my little hand in her, no, my hand's not little. Her hand is little. Mine is quite masculine. And she, and she grabs it and tells me uh, how much she loves me and she prays for me. And Sandra Parker, a woman who knows the scriptures backwards and forwards, and she comes up and says, I've really learned a lot from your teaching recently. Do you have any idea what that does? How that builds someone up in the faith. Yeah, there are other people that encourage, but those are spiritual gifts that are being utilized for us. Thousands of people have more leadership experience than Ben Reed and Denny Bagley and Matt Adams and David Eikenberry and Phil Evenson. I already listed him once. I'm not listing him a second time. Thousands of people have more leadership experience than our elders, but none of them are using that leadership to lead our fellowship. In the pathway of righteousness, that's a spiritual gift. And you will find thousands of teachers better than me. You know that's true. You see them. They're all over the internet. People that, that don't, aren't nearly as spastic and don't rely on a, on a screen. Whereas if this thing were to poop out on us, I just walk off the stage and retire because I can't function without it. People that don't have that weird thing in their throat that I got to get a drink because it sounds like my larynx is just going to explode. There are thousands of people that don't talk as fast as me and you can learn more from. But I want to use this as a spiritual gift to build you up in the faith. Through my weaknesses and all of my faults, I want God to empower me and the Holy Spirit to use me in that way. Spiritual gifts then are less about talent and natural ability and it's more about submission to God and His will. That's what it's about. It's where the Holy... This is spiritual gifts. Where the Holy Spirit gifts you and I to impart truth in a way that strengthens someone else's faith or maybe inspires them towards faith if they're not a believer did you notice verse 3 right there in the passage? Uh, verse 3. I'm back in Romans 12 now. Romans 12. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. God gave me that grace. And God has distributed those gifts. What is spiritual gifts? It's us seeking His power to build his kingdom. That's the way this works. That's why he warns us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. This isn't from us. It's, the very, it's not our ability. It's not our influence. It's not our power that's going to make a difference. It's the very thing that Moses warned the children of Israel about. You want to see a parallel to the Old Testament? You may say, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to accrue wealth and all of this. The strength comes from him. The power comes from him. So let me make this simple. Let's close this way. Let me make this simple. We have received his grace. 
Every single one of us here that's been called by the name of Jesus has received the grace of the Father. You know that. And you know it is our duty to do what? To pay his grace out to other people. That's our duty as Christians. And the vehicle by which we pay it out to others, that is a spiritual gift. Depending on the day and depending on the circumstance, he will equip us differently to do those very things. So what would I, what would I encourage you to do? Maybe to stop obsessing over what is my spiritual gift and start praying, God, give me the opportunity and equip me in the way that only you can to build someone else up in Jesus. Before nightfall, someone is closer to you because they cross paths with me. Is this our prayer? Because I want it to be. He wants it to be. Father God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the gifts that you give us. Father, the gifts that you give us and equip us with to build others up in the faith and what a privilege it is to do that. Father, forgive me for all of the times that I failed in that regard, for the times that I have been uh, too obsessed trying to figure out what I'm really good at. It's not about me. It's about you and you're good at everything. So Father, may my heart be focused. May our hearts be focused. Instead of looking at self, opening ourselves to your way and your will that others can be impacted by you through us in a way that we give you all of the praise and all of the honor and all of the glory because you alone are worthy of it. That's our prayer. We ask in the name above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen. Maybe you have a decision to make. You want that Holy Spirit in your life to lead and prompt you. There's no better time to do it than just now. Maybe you need prayer. I don't know what decision it is that you need to make. But if you've got one, would you come as we stand and as we sing?